Recently, I told our college class here at the church, our C3 group, uh, that no matter how brilliant of a planner you may be, no matter how certain you are about your path in life, no matter how much time and effort and forethought that you give to planning your future, it will not end up looking like you thought it would. There are not many people in their 40s and 50s and 60s and older who will tell you their life looks just like they thought it would when they were 20. Because only God knows what tomorrow brings. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James 4, 13 through 15. You see, it's not, that, uh, it's not that we shouldn't think about the future or even prepare for the future. All of that is fine. But in the end, no amount of planning or preparation can guarantee a particular outcome. And so probably, probably a much more important question for all of us to be able to answer in this life rather than what are your plans for the future, the far more important question that we should be able to answer is how are you going to handle yourself and your circumstances when things don't go as you planned in the future? Why? Because things won't always go as planned. But the fact is, that is when your metal is tested. That is when your character is exposed. Those are the moments in your life where your future is actually defined in how you respond when everything is not going according to plan. I'll tell you, there are far more examples in Scripture than we could ever possibly list today of men and women who made decisions and took actions when everything was not going as they thought it would, circumstances they never would have been able to predict, and yet faced with the greatest uncertainties, they made decisions and took actions that set the course for the rest of their lives. People like Ruth, who after losing everything that she had, including her husband and all her future plans, refused to abandon her mother-in-law, even though that's what she was expected to do. And yet because of her faithfulness to Naomi, in the direst of circumstances, Ruth was redeemed by a wealthy man named Boaz and had a child in the line of David, Jesus Christ himself, People like David, who decidedly uh, decided to take on Goliath against all odds and even the advice of his family, in fact, initially even as king, and yet he was victorious and later became king of Israel. People like Esther, who, knowing that almost certain death awaited her if she dared to approach the king on behalf of her people without first being summoned by the king according to their laws, she decided to go and speak to him anyway to try and save her people, telling her cousin Mordecai just before she went in to see the king, if I perish, I perish. And because of what she did, the people of God were in fact saved and even flourished in the land. People like Daniel, who constantly proved himself faithful to God in the most difficult of circumstances, refusing to be defiled by pagan food, 
refusing to bow before a pagan God, continuing to pray to the one true God, even though it was against the law of the land. And so his friends were thrown into a furnace. He was thrown into a pit full of hungry lions. He was pursued by enemies. And yet, because of his decision to be faithful to God over and over and over again, come what may, Daniel became a ruler in the land with tremendous influence over the fate of his people. We could go on and on all day long and more about the people in Scripture who decided to faithfully follow God even when things didn't go as planned. And because of those decisions and the actions that followed, their entire futures were set on a different trajectory. And yet as different as all of their stories are from one to the other, there's a common thread throughout every single one of them. Under the most intense pressure, in the gravest of circumstances, facing insurmountable odds, each one of these great men and women were strong and courageous. By the way, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is what we do in the face of fear. God knows that we'll be fearful at times in this life. In fact, he's the one who created us with the capacity to know fear. So it's not the absence of fear that makes us courageous, just like it's not the absence of weakness that makes us strong. The Apostle Paul said, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, Paul says, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. How many of us can say that? For then, when I am weak, he says, then I am strong, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. You see? Strength and courage are the choices that we make when we feel weak and afraid which is what God has been calling his people to rise to from the days of Noah, that in every occasion, in every difficult circumstance, in every twist and turn of this journey that we are on, and especially those which require us to face the greatest challenges of our lives, in every occasion, God calls his people to be strong and courageous. And yet those those fortitudes, strength and courage, those fortitudes are not rooted in or derived from self-reliance. It's quite the opposite. True strength and courage come from an utter reliance upon God, which can only exist out of an absolute trust in God. Okay? You can't have strength and courage without reliance upon God, and you will not rely upon God if you do not trust him. This is the lesson the people of God were learning in the most difficult ways as the Israelites under Moses had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 long years. And in the end, an entire generation of God's people died in that wilderness, never experiencing the fullness of all that God had prepared for them because they failed to fully trust in him. And I'm telling you, I believe a lot of Christians throughout the ages, including this age, have lived and died without ever experiencing the fullness of life that God had prepared for them because they never learned to fully trust him along the way. And so after 40 long years, the Israelites finally come face to face with a decision 
Under the command of Joshua, God's people will either choose strength and courage by fully trusting in God to lead them into all that he's prepared for them, or they can tuck tail and run. And so, as we embark on a new sermon series working our way through the book of Joshua, we're going to find out which choice they make right from the start. And I'm telling you what we learn here from Joshua should hit us right where we live today because the church in America is facing a very real decision at this pivotal moment in history. For too many long years, the American dream has lulled the church to sleep. I believe generations of Christians have subsequently fallen far short of all that God had prepared for them because they trusted in the promise of that American dream more than they trusted in the promises of God. And as a result, the church has wandered in a wilderness of weakness and fear for far too long. And I'm telling you, I sense more than ever the Spirit of God calling us to rise up to a new level of strength and courage, trusting absolutely in what he is calling us to do and in who he is calling us to be. The truth is, that will be a radical departure for some of us, some uh, from what we're used to, because we've become comfortable in the wilderness, living off of the land, never having to confront or tear down the walls in our lives that stand between us and all that God has prepared for us. But I'm telling you, I think it's time. In fact, I think it's high time we made a decision to live our lives strong and courageously in the face of our greatest weaknesses and fears and begin taking back ground in our lives that we have allowed the enemy to occupy for far too long. We have a big decision to make. Are we going to become the people the church that God created us to be, the church this culture desperately needs us to be, are we going to experience all that he has prepared each of us for in this one lifetime? Or will we tuck tail and run, just continuing to blend in, wandering in the wilderness of a culture that is chasing empty promises and hollow dreams? We have a big decision to make. And we have a fixed amount of time to make it because we have an opportunity in this one lifetime to completely transform the culture around us by radically loving people the way that Jesus loved people, by laying our lives down for others even when they don't do the same for us, by advancing the kingdom of God through the proclamation of the gospel of Christ without compromising that truth. But I'm telling you, all of that will require us to be strong and courageous, trusting in God for each new day as we take ground that we have allowed the enemy to occupy for too long. This was the situation facing God's people after the death of Moses and the commissioning of his assistant Joshua as their new leader, as we'll see. Uh, there is a, an ancient collection of writings by Hebrew rabbis that detail Jewish law and tradition. It's called the Talmud, and it attributes the writing of this book to Joshua himself, probably from the late uh, second millennium B.C., and uh, that would, of course, not including the death 
the account of Joshua's death. That would have been from an assistant or an attendant later on. But we have many modern scholars as well who agree uh, that this book was probably written by Joshua himself. So we're going to begin this new journey through the story of Joshua as told by Joshua and see what we can learn about what it takes to be strong and courageous in the face of life's greatest challenges as we take possession of what he has promised to us. So we're going to read it together. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 1. And we'll begin by reading the first six verses. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So again, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, Moses dies, and yet the people of promise, God's people, they still haven't realized that promise. They still haven't entered the land which they were supposed to possess from the wilderness in the south all the way up to Lebanon in the north, way up to uh, the river Euphrates in the northeast, and then over to the great western sea or the Mediterranean Sea in the west. This was a, a massive and magnificent piece of real estate that had been set aside by God just for them. And yet the fact that they had not yet seen the promise fulfilled in no way invalidated that promise. But still, put yourself in their sandals for a moment. These people have been wandering around for a very long time. An entire generation of them has died in the wilderness. Their leader, perhaps the greatest of all time, is dead. And now his assistant takes over and is about to inform them that he will do what Moses has been unable to do. That he will lead them somewhere they haven't been in the past 40 years. That he will guide them into the fulfillment of a promise that probably many of them had given up on a long time ago. But listen... That promise was uttered by God himself to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. And it was as good on this day in the wilderness after 40 years of wandering as it was the day it was given. Moses had died. A generation of Jews had died. But that promise was alive and well, and Joshua knew it. He understood that the promise of God had not been revoked. And so the Lord says to Joshua, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. You see, when God makes a promise, it may take a long time and require great strength and courage to see it realized in your life but the promise still stands. And we have a responsibility in that to pursue that promise. 
God said to Joshua, you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. We have a part to play in seeing God's promises realized in our own lives. But look, before we can even accomplish anything toward that goal, we first have to trust that what God is telling us is actually true. Okay? If you're going to be strong and courageous and pursue what God is calling you to pursue in this life, then you will first have to learn to trust in God's promises because the wilderness was not meant to be your final destination. Under Moses, the Israelites came to believe that the wilderness was their last stop. And so for that generation, guess what? It was just a month and a half after miraculously leading them out of Egypt, out of captivity, out of slavery, and toward their promised land, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You, you understand, they couldn't pursue the promise because they didn't trust the promise. They were convinced the wilderness was their last stop, and so it was for that generation. John Calvin once said, while men are cut off by death and fall in the middle of their career, the faithfulness of God never fails. On the death of Moses, a sad change seemed impending. The people were left like a body with its head lopped off. While thus in danger of dispersion, not only did the truth of God prove itself to be immortal, but it was shown in the person of Joshua as in a bright mirror that when God takes away those whom he has adorned with special gifts, he has others in readiness to supply their place. And that though he is pleased for a time to give excellent gifts to some, his mighty power is not tied down to them, but he is able as often as seemeth good to him to find fit successors, nigh to raise up from the very stones persons qualified to perform illustrious deeds. Look, Throughout your life, your circumstances are going to change, sometimes dramatically, right? We lose someone close to us or a spouse leaves. We lose a job or a position. Something we were really counting on doesn't come through. And if we're not careful, we can tie the validity of a promise from God so closely to those people or those circumstances that have now changed that we think the promise is gone as well. That's not how God works. If God made you a promise, he will keep that promise even if it means getting you there by way of a completely different set of circumstances that you ever imagined possible. The key is to trust that God will follow through on his part as we follow through on our part. You cannot pursue the calling of God in your life. You cannot take possession of a promise in your life that you don't believe in to begin with. If God has given you a promise, you have to trust in that promise. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've waited. 
I don't care what you've had to wade through to get there. If you can believe in the promise, then you can pursue the promise. Moses was 80 years old when he led the Jews out of Egypt. Sarah was 90 years old when she had Isaac. Luke tells us that Elizabeth was advanced in years. Some scholars believe probably in her late 80s when she had John the Baptist. And Joshua, <laughs> he grew up in Egyptian bondage. No stranger to the lashings of the slave master's whip. The endless, impossible work in the brick fields. And then 40 years of wandering in the wilderness after that. Joshua was approaching 90 years old when he was commissioned here to lead the people out of, uh, into the promised land, out of the wilderness. Something he never could have anticipated as a young slave back in Egypt. But you see, God didn't revoke his promise when things weren't going well for Joshua and they did not expire when Moses died. The fact is you have to trust in his promises or you will never pursue them. And if you don't pursue them, you will probably never experience them. This is a big part of what it means to be strong and courageous. It is making the choice to trust in God's promise for your life even when you feel weak and afraid, even when circumstances change, even when people abandon you, even when others tell you it's impossible, be strong and courageous because you can absolutely trust in the promise of God. And of course, knowing that we feel that way at times. God made us another promise. One that I would say is perhaps the greatest promise a child of God could ever hope to hear. In verse five, God gives to Joshua and his people this promise that he gave earlier to Isaac in Genesis chapter 26, verse three, that he gave to Moses in Exodus 3.12 and repeats again to us in Hebrews 13.5 as we pursue this calling and commission of God in our lives. He says, I will not leave you or forsake you. He says, I will be with you every single step of the way. That was as true for us as it was for them. In, in addition to the Hebrews 13 reference, Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You know what the good news for us is? The end of the age hasn't come yet. That means the same promise that was given to Isaac and to Moses and to Joshua and to Jesus' first disciples has been given to us as well. But it gets even better than that because God not only reveals uh, information to us through his promises, he also reveals himself to us through his promises. In Exodus 3, he makes the promise to be with Moses. He also at that same time reveals his proper name, his true identity, Yahweh the one true God. And of course, in Matthew 28, when Jesus promises that I'm with you always, well, how does he accomplish that? By the revelation and indwelling of his Holy Spirit within all believers. You see, it means that no matter what is happening or not happening in your life right now, you can trust in the promise of God for your life because along with that promise comes the assurance that he is with us and ever revealing himself to us all along the way. 
That should give us immeasurable strength and courage to trust in that promise because, listen, the wilderness was not meant to be your final destination. Let's keep reading verses 7 through 9. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so God continues to assure Joshua of the promises that he's given him and his people, including that most important one that he will be with Joshua wherever he goes. And yet he also continues to emphatically remind Joshua that he will have to be strong and courageous all along the way. Because even though we're people of promise, that doesn't mean the journey getting there will be easy. And yet, even in that journey, even when it's difficult, even when you can't see what's around the next bend, God says you can succeed and prosper all along the way as long as you learn to trust in God's word. In fact, you must if you're going to finish this journey and obtain the promise. He said to Joshua, be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. God's word. Joshua had the book of Deuteronomy. We have the completed canon of scripture, this holy Bible. And God says, if you want to have success, if you want to prosper, then you are going to have to feed on my word. Let it not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, being careful to do everything that it says. And then, he says, then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. This has to be one of the most overlooked and underutilized promises of God of them all. The promise that we will be prosperous and successful on our journey through this life if if we would but immerse ourselves in God's word, living according to its every instruction, not turning from it to the left or to the right, but feeding on it day and night until we're so saturated in his word that it comes out of us in everything that we say and do. And yet I think for many Christians, it is more of a last resort than a way of life. Some folks become so accustomed to following the ways of this world in our pursuit of this American dream that we don't think seriously about his word until our plans start to fall apart. Then we get real serious. 
as we frantically search the pages of Scripture looking for answers. But God says, listen, if you'll make my word a real priority in your life to the point that you spend so much time there that when plans don't go as planned, you won't have to panic because you'll already know what to do because you have my word living inside of you daily and nightly. It's there. If you will just feed on it for your very life, you'll find strength and courage in these pages and you'll find success and prosperity even in the midst of your most difficult challenges. I'll tell you what, if you read this passage, this is the best part. If you read this in the ancient Hebrew, the terminology used for prosperity and success has nothing to do with worldly wealth or worldly success. It has everything to do with accomplishing the mission that God has given us, successfully answering the call of God in your life in any and every circumstance that you face along the way. The word for success, sakal, in the Hebrew means wisely understanding and to have insight and comprehension. In other words, when your plans don't go as planned, if your life is saturated with God's word, then you will have the wise understanding and the insight and comprehension that you need to know how to proceed. That's the very definition of success. And then the word prosperous, sakal, or excuse me, salak in the Hebrew, it means to push forward or to break out. So being successful and prosperous means when your plans don't go as planned. If your life is saturated in God's word, you will have the wisdom and insight that you will need to push through and to break out into the promise that he has prepared for you. Now, isn't that exactly what everyone wants? To have the wisdom and insight to be able to push through life's greatest challenges until we fully realized God's promises for our lives. And yet, when we neglect the very source of that wisdom and insight, it only stands to reason that we'll feel weak and afraid when our plans don't go as planned. Of course, God knows that. So he says to Joshua, look, to finish this journey and obtain the promise, Joshua, you're going to have to be strong and courageous, so you'll need to trust in my word because that is what will give you the wisdom and insight that you need to make it there. Let's finish the chapter, verse 10 to the end. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise." 
They answered Joshua, all that you've commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, he shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. So in the last section of the story, Joshua responds to all that God has been telling him. First, he commands the officers of the people to go through the entire encampment and command the people to make ready, to pack up the supplies they will need to cross the Jordan and take possession, which is an important phrase, uh, by the way, to remember. We'll come back to that. Uh, to take possession of the land that God had promised them. And then Joshua does something very interesting, which if we were to overlook it, would be a profound oversight. He goes before the Transjordanian tribes, uh, the, the two and a half tribes who were to settle on the east side of the Jordan based on an earlier agreement with Moses, which means at this point they have no direct interest from a land perspective in crossing the Jordan to the western side to take possession of the land with the rest of Israel because they're already at their final destination. Their inheritance is east of the Jordan where they are now. And yet Joshua goes to them and in obedience to God's earlier command in verse 8 that this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, also probably to inspire these fighting men, he quotes nearly verbatim Deuteronomy 3, 18 through 20, where he tells them to leave your wives and your children and your livestock here, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. That is the land to the east of the Jordan. In other words, Joshua says... You can leave your families and belongings here in your new homeland, but all of the military men are coming with me. So take up arms, boys. Kiss your wives and your kids. Let's move out. And of course, they agree to everything Joshua commands them. In fact, in the uh, ancient Near East, a, charge of, uh, a change of leadership would generally involve a pledge of loyalty to a new leader, particularly before any a military conquest was taken. And by the way, uh, the phrase men of valor, as Joshua describes them uh, in, this, in these two and a half tribes, these were not your average military men. These were the military elite. These were the special forces. Joshua was gathering the finest military force among them. Which raises an obvious question, why? If God had said he was giving the land to his people, why go through all of this? 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. Obviously, it was God's will for his people to have this land. He said it repeatedly. Joshua and his people are all responding obediently to everything God was telling them to do. God could have easily, by a mere thought, a simple word from his mouth, 
nothing more than a wave of his hand, he could have utterly eliminated the enemy before the Israelites even got out of bed. Every single part of this promise could have been handed to them by God. Clearly, again, it was his will for them to have it. So why, Joshua, gather the finest fighting military force that you could possibly muster to cross a river into a land that God has already promised to give you? The answer lies in verse 11, where Joshua commands the people to prepare to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. He didn't say, prepare for God to drop the promise in your lap. Get comfortable on the couch. Get a bag of chips. Make sure there's fresh batteries in the remote. Because he's just going to pour out that promise in your lap as you do nothing. No. He said, prepare to take possession of what God has promised you. God promised you the land, but you're going to have to go in and take it for yourselves. In fact, God said you will have to fight for it. Look, guys, Joshua understood something profoundly important that eludes many Christians today. When God calls you to something... When he makes you a promise, there are going to be times when you're going to have to fight for that promise because there is always a process involved in getting to where God wants you to be. And that process, that journey to your final destination is just as much a part of that calling and that promise as the destination itself. Joshua understood that he knew there was a fight coming and if he was going to be strong and courageous for that fight, for what he was about to have to embark upon, then he would have to trust in God's process. You see, when God makes you a promise, there is always, always a process to seeing that promise fulfilled. At times on the journey, to possessing God's promise for your life, there will be people who will stand directly in your way. That is part of the process. At times, circumstances will conspire against you like a great wall between you and that promise. That is part of the process. At times, people who you are desperately depending on will abandon you. That is part of the process. At times you will experience heartache and loss that seem beyond anything you could ever recover from. I'm telling you that's part of the process. At times you will grow so weary, physically, emotionally, spiritually empty, and yet that is part of the process. And it is in those moments, those seasons even of loss and hurt and loneliness and disappointment and struggle, when you will have to fight for every inch of that promise because he is not going to drop it in your lap. You're going to have to fight because that is always a part 
of the process. And yet, in our Christianized version of the American dream that has been embraced by so much of the church in our culture, we've become accustomed to seeking comfort and safety and security and material prosperity to the point that when God gives us a promise or we sense his calling in our lives, we don't think we should have to fight for it. Right? Because if it's God's will and we ask anything according to his will, well then it will just come, right? That sounds really nice, but it's not how God works. Because the journey to the promise, the process is what makes you who you are. That's how God shapes you to be able to possess the promise when the time comes. Don't despise the process. And don't give up on your plans when they don't go as planned. Because that is another part of the process. And besides, when it comes time in the process that you have to fight just to keep your head above water, when it comes time for you to have to fight just to be able to keep going, those are the moments when your metal is tested. Those are the days when your character is shaped and exposed. Those are the seasons where your future is defined in how you respond in the process when everything is not going according to plan. And in those moments, we have a decision to make to stay dig in our heels and fight for that promise or tuck tail and run. And I'll just tell you, he won't stop you from running, from choosing the relative ease of the wilderness that requires little and rewards little. In fact, you can live out your entire life there and even die there in the wilderness, never experiencing all that God has prepared for you. And I'm sad to say, that is actually the case for many who never choose to live in the strength and courage that he is offering every one of us. And yet, it's not just an individual issue. It is a church issue. It is an American church issue. And I honestly believe as our culture becomes increasingly post-Christian that we are rapidly approaching a pivotal moment in history for the church. Which means we have a decision to make. Will we choose to walk in strength and courage, becoming the people, the, the church that God created us to be, the church this culture is desperately longing to see? Will we fight for that, for all that he's prepared for us in this lifetime? Or will we tuck tail and run, just continuing to blend in with a culture that is comfortable, wandering around in the wilderness? Because look, Radically loving people the way that Jesus loved people, that is decidedly counter to our culture. Actually laying our lives down for others, even when they don't do the same for us, that is counter to our culture. Advancing the kingdom of God through the proclamation of the gospel of Christ with conviction instead of compromise. That is counter to our culture and even counter to some of our church culture. Which means we are going to have to fight as the process 
continues to unfold. We will have to fight for the promise that he's prepared for us to become all that we can become, to fight for the ground in our lives and in our culture that we've allowed the enemy to occupy for so long. We are going to have to fight for a harvest of souls who see us Christian men and women remarkably strong and courageous because we've learned to trust in God's promises and we've learned to trust in God's word and we've learned to trust in God's process, especially when our plans don't go as planned. You understand that's the church this world needs to see. That's the church this world is waiting to experience. And honestly, I believe they will. In fact, I'll tell you, I sense in my spirit that we are rapidly approaching a moment in history when we will be forced to choose to continue wandering in the wilderness of mediocrity because of weakness and fear or to stand and fight for the promise of God as we make a decision once and for all to be strong and courageous. Let's pray.